Back to throw. In trouble. He's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs. Gets away again. Goes to the 40. Gets away again. To the 35. Cuts back at the 30. To the 20. The 15. The 10. He dies. Touchdown. Well, what do you know, Al? It's an unexpected victory podcast with the 49ers thrashing the Rams at home. Something that I didn't think I would be saying this week, Al. We both picked against the 49ers last week. We were both wrong. and I'm happy to be wrong. But this was not only a, a win for the 49ers. It was an absolute drubbing domination from the get-go. It was a game where you were not at all concerned with the outcome even at the beginning of the game, like they were, they were starting off right off the bat with 14 points, the pick six by Jimmy Ward. And man, this was one of those games where I comfortably watched and I did not expect to see that at all from them, let alone against arguably the best team in the NFC. Just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in, Zane. They pull me back in. <laughs> Unbelievable and a lot to hit on from it. You know, this team's got to, can this team be consistent now? Is this going to go anywhere? We're going to talk about it all. We're going to figure it all out. But before we do that, one of our favorite shows for both Zane and I is Good Morning Football. And we were lucky enough. We had Kyle mm-hmm. Brand on some years ago. We were lucky enough this time to have another one of the hosts on the show. We had a great conversation with him. And it, it was always a big, um, big thing for Zane and I because we love the show so much. And I know our listeners do too. So this was a really fun interview. And you guys will dig it. It is one of the co-hosts of Good Morning Football, Will Silva. <laughs> You know him from every NFL fan's favorite morning show, Good Morning Football. He is Will Selva. Will, thanks for being here. Absolutely. A pleasure to be on with you. Now, Will, when we give people on who've reached your level of the business, we're always curious about the journey. So from your days at KRON Bay TV to Good Morning Football, mm-hmm. can you take us through your career? Absolutely. Uh, so proud to say that I'm a San Francisco native. and. Uh, I never imagined that I would get a chance to start my career in San Francisco, but I was able to do it. I was actually working in Stonestown in the Macy's Young Men's Department for a month and a half after I graduated from Arizona State. And I got a call from a friend of mine who worked in the promotions department at uh, KRON Bay TV and said, hey, what would you think if you came and you did some uh, PA, production assistant work? and did some writing for the morning show, and you'd be writing sports for the host. I said, like, ah, that'd be great, that's awesome. So I settled into the gig, and um, I said, you know, it'd be a fun idea is if we had celebrities who came in who were plugging a book or plugging a movie and had them do Giants and A's highlights. So for example, when Johnny Cochran, the famed O.J. Simpson lawyer, came and plugged his book, I actually wrote, a sports cast for him. You know, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. If it doesn't fit, the Yankees can't hit, you know, so something like to that effect. And um, he says this, this highlights a bumbling cesspool full of deceit. So I was adding those sorts of things to it. And then uh, I had people like also uh, Digital Underground come on. And so I did the same thing. Mm-hmm. I did a sports cast for them. And so then people said, hey, so what do you want to do? And so I said, I want to be on, on camera. I said, great. So locally, uh, obviously, Gary Radnich and Vernon Glenn, really well known. Well, those guys were off. And uh, I got a call and said, hey, what do you think about covering the San Ignatius Sacred Heart uh, Cathedral rivalry? And I said, I'd love to. I played in that rivalry. And it's 
the oldest rivalry west of the Mississippi. And so I had a chance to interview my old coach, and then I stood in front of Kizar Stadium where I had played, and then that got me going on my journey, and then um, made a stop in in um, Sacramento where I was the main sports guy there, and I had a chance to cover the Chris Weber, Mike Bibby uh, teams, and <laughs> excuse me, and then from there went and worked uh, at CNN Sports where I had a chance to cover uh, a couple of Super Bowls, uh, World Series, Kentucky Derby, and then from there went to uh, went to ESPN where I had a chance to do everything for five years. Had a chance to cover a bunch of sports centers. Uh, was actually on set uh, sports center when the Joe Paterno got fired news came, and so that was a pretty big spot as as wow. Stuart Scott was following us. And so that was a pretty big deal. And, um, and then went to NFL Network. And, you know, I've been there for now close to nine years. And then they told me about uh, Good Morning Football. And Nate, as a matter of fact, we were working together in Los Angeles. And he said to me, oh, hey, well, it was great working with you. I'm like, yeah, Nate, uh, that was great working with you. Never thinking that I'd get a chance to work with him at all. He's just like, right. uh, you know, hey, I'm working on this morning show. And uh, I said, like, yeah, Nate, well, good luck with a good day in New York, football, whatever it's called. He's like, well, come on, man. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And so uh, sure enough, like two days later, they said, okay, we want you to do this show. And then we have our uh, test shows. And I remember that, that A block. And I thought, wow, I need to strap in because this is either going to be awesome for my career or it's going to be a colossal ball of flames because it was so unique and so different and so off script and so uh unlike anything i'd ever done and so you know they would come to me and they would ask me oh hey so will do you like fishing i'm like yeah i love swedish fish you know it's like <laughs> kyle and i would have this dialogue and 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 you know like nate would tell me it's like hey were you more of a biggie or tupac fan or we would talk about obscure 80s, 90s references and players that uh, we remember from the NBA and, uh, you know, NBA old school video games and that kind of thing. And so it just, you know, and I never know what to expect in the morning. Never know what, what to expect right. from, from mm -hmm. Kay or KB or Peter or, or Nate when he was working with us and now uh, whoever is, is filling in in his seat. So they actually came to you, the network, and said, hey, do you want to do this? It wasn't anything that you kind of approached or anything like that? No, yeah, not at all. They, they approached me uh, because I had done some work where it was a loose show that we did on Sundays at NFL Network. And they had seen me do like my Brian Gumble impression. They would seen me do a bunch of things. And so I think my bosses at the time saw me very differently than how I am at the anchor desk. And so then they said, hey, what do you think about melding your your uh, breaking news chops with your personality and you'll be able to show it? And so I thought, oh, great. And so they said, okay, but the catch is that you have to be ready to go at 4 a.m. Pacific time. So, uh, you know, that meant getting up at like 1245. <laughs> so uh, that was a change for me. But uh I can't complain. It's been a lot of fun and uh, I love all of them dearly. And, you know, they're my TV family, even though I've only had a chance to hang out with them, like maybe four or five times ever in person. 
And Will, so actually, it's funny. We have a whole list of questions, but now that you mentioned Biggie and Tupac, like, are you a Biggie guy or you're Tupac guy? <laughs> you know, I have to admit, I, I think I'm a little more partial to Tupac, and I don't know if it's because mm -hmm. of the whole digital underground connection that I just am more into. Maybe it's the whole, like, the West Coast, East Coast thing. Because remember, that was a big thing happening. So right. I think I was just a little bit more partial to Tupac. We're going to get along great then, because I'm a Tupac guy, too. Um, I'm a Yeah, there we go. Guy. Yeah, because, you I'm know, on the West Coast, on the West Coast, we were raised to, like, not like East Coast rap, right? Like, we were raised to, like, oh, we hate those guys, right? Because that's all we heard in our music. So, because of that, like, right. you, know, and, you know, he was in Marin City and all that stuff as well. So, it's like, I'm, I'm a big Tupac guy, for sure, for real. That, that's awesome. And yeah, this, yeah, no, and I just remember, there was, like, legit beef there. And that was, if this hap if that happened in this day and age, boy, it would be massive. It would be mind-blowing for people. Oh, absolutely. Like with social media and everything, just unbelievable that two rappers in their prime. I think he was, you know, he, he was a good lyricist, but like Tupac, he was a movement. Honestly, he told stories and like everything was so real. So I, I have a deep appreciation for that, for sure. Now, the second question Love I have it. for you that's that's kind of off topic is so you're in a basket. You were in the old school basketball games, right? So yeah. NBA Jam, who was your team in NBA Jam? <laughs> uh, boy, yeah, I mean. My my team in NBA Jam. I mean, boy, uh, I'm I'm trying to think. I I like I said, I am thinking now more of NBA old school. Like that's where I was. That was more of even my jam than NBA Jam. Meaning, I was more into to Blake and Biggs mm -hmm. and uh, Yeti, and so those were the guys that I remember the most from NBA Jam. I I I don't know. I mean, I always was obviously a a Warriors fan, but the Warriors only had their their short, brief history, right? Of um, of of being fun to watch, where they predated small ball, you know, with mm -hmm. with uh, you know, run TMC, because people forget that they were only around for two years. You know, mm -hmm. people you know forget that they were not around for very long, and the Warriors always were that type of team that they you know always shipped away the best players, and those players ended up being stars elsewhere right, so right. and you go on down the line from the from the time walt uh, uh rather wilt chamberlain was there and then you had uh the eventual uh, uh you know uh, robert Parrish and what the pick of kevin McHale used to be and then you know remember we had then chris weber who was a rookie and right. then rookie of the year and then he called don nelson a liar and then that went down the <laughs> tubes and and then i remember covering you know the latrell spreewell uh choking situation with pj carlissimo too so that was a whole thing and so it's just like the warriors just can't get it right so uh so so like i said th those were kind of like my my memories my takeaways of of like the nba during those days got it got it yeah i was uh, i was a big indiana pacers guy because you had the threes with reggie miller and you had the big big man with rick smith so I, every time the pacers yeah. and nba jam that that was my jam there <laughs> but uh, but back but back to uh, uh, some of the the stuff that we have going on here. So good morning football has become so wildly popular. Like you've been there for almost nine years. So what's what's it been like to see that progression from when you got there until like now, where it's like literally it's part of pop culture, it's part of NFL culture. Like it is the go to show. Like sometimes when you're when you're in the thick of it, you don't realize it. But like I can tell you from an outsider's point of view, like Good Morning Football, it is like that is that is what it is. Like it's. It is the stuff right now. Uh, well, thank you for saying that. Really, really appreciate that. And it's just really nice to hear. Um, 
uh, again, never expected it to be uh, what it is now because NFL Network did try to do a morning show or morning shows, and they just never seemed to work. They never seemed to click. And with the way that they uh, put the show together, they really let the personalities dictate things as well as obviously the storylines, but also the creativity. Because I always, uh, even though I was a straight news guy, I always had like, you know, fun ideas or creative ideas where I thought like, boy, I wish this is something that they would do at, at some show at a network level. And to see that they've done this is incredible. And what's funny is over the years with the show, uh, the players that we have on, they come on and they're talking to us during commercial break. They talk about, oh, we see you, you know, uh, at the facility all the time and you're always on, and we love it. No, it is a big honor. I've wanted to be on the show for a long time. And, you know, Aaron Rodgers came out and said, like, yeah, I watch you guys. And then, you know, we have guys like uh, – we had Brett Michaels on last week. Like He said, like, oh, I watch you guys. Or, you know, we have Paul Rudd, who's a big fan of ours, you know, and he's come on. He's like, oh, yeah, and, you know, Blake Shelton comes on, and he says the same thing. And you kind of sometimes – are in this vacuum and you don't realize the reach that you have where people of that stature come out of nowhere and say, oh, yeah, you know, Paul Rudd's like, yeah, let's not forget about Will on the West Coast. And, you know, Blake Mm -hmm. Shelton talking about talking to Gwen Stefani about watching Angry Runs. And he's saying, yeah, I love watching all you guys and Will and all that. And it's just like that to me feels so surreal how, how the players have bought into it and you get some of these you know, uh, well-known names or personalities, celebrities who are watching this, like, wow, they watch us, little old us? Like, how's Mm -hmm. that possible? What are we doing? (laughs) You know, so Mm -hmm. I think that has been fun to see and that people people like to see other people having fun. And I think that's what we do. I mean, do we have some misses when we try out skits? Of course. Some of these bits don't work. But when we do like a Halloween show, and they say to me, okay, well, we need for you to do your best Vincent Price impression, and then we need to do you to do your best Michael Buffer impression as I'm introducing Kay as the Lombardi trophy. Or, um, you know, <laughs> when we had, you know, we had Nate as Willie, Willie Beeman, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, um, Shregs as, as an old-time football player. So it's like those sorts of things. That is what makes it fun. I think people see it, and and when you see other people having fun, you want to watch it. So um, I'm glad that people recognize it, and uh, I appreciate you know the kind words and the fact that you guys do watch. Yeah, it's funny, Will, because for me, you know, I, I would get up, and the first thing I used to do in the morning is turn on Sports Center, right? In the past yeah. few years or whatever it's been, now the first thing I do is turn on Good Morning Football. I mean, they're literally the first thing oh. I do before I eat or do anything. I turn on Good Morning Football. And, and a lot of that is because you you mentioned, you know, the cast and the chemistry that you guys have together is really a big part of what makes the show special. I mean, it's it, it's crazy how well you all work together. W- was that something that was just initial with all you guys or, or, or did you have to work at it? Just did you know right away, like, like, wow, we have this chemistry going and, and this is something special? Uh, not right away, but I started to feel that way over the first couple of weeks. But I did feel like, okay, there's some certain things that 
people aren't going to like, and it's going to be an acquired taste for people because it's not a straight X's and O's breaking down taste. And so, um, you know, I, I started to really develop in those first couple of weeks, and I started to see, but like Nate's, you know, like like Nate's uh, rise in the business was fun for me to see because I actually worked with Nate before I worked with Kay, Kyle, and Peter. And so Nate and I, uh, we did segments together at NFL Network before Good Morning Football. And, you know, we joked around because there was a main locker room where everybody had their suits and shirts and ties, et cetera. And Nate and I would be in the overflow room on the clothing rack and we would share it together and they would always scrunch up my clothes and I'd be angry about it. But, um, you know, he would hang up his, his pristine, you know, shirts and everything. And so I'm like, who is this guy? And so then, you know, Nate and I, then we, we talked about his time with the Vikings and he talked about the Lake Minnetonka story, you know, about, uh, about the two boats and all that. And if you don't know what it is for, for people who are listening, you can just Google it and you'll find out more than enough details on it. And, um, and so I just knew like to see like Nate's progression. I thought, wow, okay, Nate gets it. And he feels comfortable with himself because sometimes the players that we have on or the analysts that we have on, they are so uh, buttoned up and they don't want to criticize people. And what I loved about Nate is that he was all in. He was willing to dive into all these segments. And even Shrakes, for example, Shrakes, when they had the, uh, I think it was because of uh, Cam Newton, they had the onesie, I remember, and um, Kyle, uh, Peter, and uh, Nate were wearing them, but, but uh, you know, Shrakes was like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Journalistic integrity. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then he said, you know, bleep it. I'm going to do it. And it ended up being great, you know? And then we had, like, you know, Jerry Springer come on. Uh, no, excuse, well, we did have Jerry Springer on, but then we also had uh, Maury Povich, and we did a whole thing on you are not the quarterback. You know, we did that whole thing, and we tried to do <laughs> you know this the, the the steady cam, you know, and um, you know we did the 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 GMZ like the, the TMZ knockoff, and we would have you know Sean McVay you know answer questions from the paparazzi, you know those sorts of things, and so. Um, uh, it, it, it just, it just, I think over time and with the segments, it just, I think that the, the personalities had a chance to really show themselves. And I think everybody started to get along more. And like I said, they've never told me to, to reel back anything. And I don't think they've told them really to reel back anything. I think occasionally they've said, Hey, maybe you shouldn't say that, or maybe that's not the appropriate tone. But for the most part, I have to give uh, credit to the network where they just let us be as we are. And I remember those Super Bowl shows with with the um, crowd in the background. And uh, so what I, what I would do, like all seven people who were there at NFL Network at four in the morning, I'd have them behind me and start yelling and screaming and, you know, have a sign of, you know, will the thrill or will is great or whatever. And, and you know, joke with them. It's like, hey, I've got my own audience. Right. And so those are sorts of things like like and when we first started too, they were asking me, you know, hey, what what pants are you wearing? You know, and they would ask me, you know, what is that you're wearing? So that it, so so it was, I think I, I think that was like that first month. And then I, I got up. It's like, guys, stop bothering me. You know, leave me alone. And then I got up and I was wearing Pokemon Pokemon pajama pants underneath. <laughs> 
you know, so it's, it's like the, the, I think the silliness and the fun that we have, I think was kind of built the, the camaraderie and, the and, uh, has made the show fun to do. And, and hopefully it's been fun for people to watch. Yeah, I think it's been, you know, you know what it is, it's that human element that, that we all kind of love to watch and, and the playfulness and all that stuff. And it's funny, like when you guys are, are repping a specific team and, and everybody's wearing the jerseys or, or whatnot, it, it's kind of funny because I have like an actual reaction, like, all right, you know, pick the Niners or say something good about the Niners, right? So when you can have elicit that reaction out of your audience, I feel like you've, you've done a really good job at what you do because they react in one way or the other, right? Like, I think that when you're, when you're in media, that's what you kind of go for is you go for that reaction. And even if people react ne- negatively, it's better than like a no reaction, right? Because that had an effect on them. Yeah. And I mean, there are people again, who, who they're going to hate for hate's sake and mm-hmm. not like that Kay's wearing a, um, uh, a, a who day shirt, you know, repping the bangles or, you know, they said, Oh, you don't talk enough about, you know, the Jaguars, oh, you're not talking enough about, you know, like we get that for the mayor of Jacksonville watches us, you know, <laughs> and he always, yeah, he's like, is an avid fan. And then he'd say, oh, you guys aren't doing enough of that, of, of, uh, of what Jacksonville is doing. And, you know, we try to cover all the teams. And there was a, a, a segment that we did do, boy, it was like three or four years ago where it was like Mount Talkmore. You know, we would pick the teams that that we didn't mention the entire show. And then that was their segment that we would do. You know, that way uh, we would satisfy the, the um, you know, the, the fans didn't feel like they were getting enough shine. Right. So, uh, again, it's, it's people always want us to talk about their teams because we're all about the storylines and what's compelling. And um but it's funny that that K is always the one that gives me a bad time about like, oh, I see you're you're starting off well with a 49ers story. Oh, it happens to be a 49ers <laughs> story. It's like, okay, it's not always like that, you know. Uh, I wish I could dictate it it like that all the time. But there's genuine news. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. You're doing a 49ers story, so uh, <laughs> you know. I, I, either way, I mean, it's just you, you you write it, and it's like people are going to have a reaction one way or the other. Talking to Will Selva from Good Morning Football. And Will, don't worry. This is a safe space for you, okay? You can come on here anytime you want <laughs> for as long as you want. You can talk as much Niners as you want. This is this is your space right here. Right? So nobody's going to say anything. Okay, that's good. You're, you're totally cool. And and speaking of the Niners, you mentioned, obviously, you're, you're growing up in, in the city. You are mm-hmm. you are a Fort Niners fan. And, you know, you're, you're yeah. just basically 280 East and 101 South, and you're at Candlestick pretty much, right? That's pretty much, <laughs> that's pretty much where you were going. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, listen, I, I, uh, spent many a night Tuesday morning watching the giants and the hot dog wrappers and, you know, they're facing the Marlins and there's probably like 10,000 people, you know, and, um, you know, in the bleachers, somebody is, is given, you know, the, the bird to the bullpen pitcher as he's warming up. So, uh, no, many, a, a great memories being at Candlestick Park. And, um, you know, then having, having the, the chance to go up to Levi's and, and take my son, he had so much fun going up there and, you know, everybody was really nice and cool and, and he loved it. I mean, it was an experience that he still talks about even to this day. Yeah. And for me, so I'm an, I'm an East Bay kid, right? I grew up in the East Bay and going, that was okay. a trek to get out the candlestick, right? It was basically like, you know how it is in the Bay area, right? Like the entire day is oh, spent yeah. like the Niners game and then getting out and like, 
walking through the Hunters Point neighborhood because like nobody would park at the stadium, right? Because the lots would be full and everything. So all of that would yeah. take the entire day. And I would say that Levi's, you know, it's probably a better experience going to, at least for me, because I'm still in East Bay. Mm-hmm. But it's probably a better experience going to. But I feel like the the luster and the memories and the mystique of Candlestick is kind of it's kind of not there yet with Levi's because they haven't done that much winning in that stadium. Yeah, and that's been uh, unfortunate because, uh, listen, going there and the fan experience and the music that they've got going, uh, I love it. I think, though, with a lot of these newer stadiums, uh, they, they always are going to lose a little bit of that juice that they had from their old stadium. I mean, you look at, you know, the vet in Philadelphia, well, it's like, you know, can it compare to the link? It probably doesn't quite measure up to that level. Um, you know, and Candlestick, that was a place where you'd watch baseball and football there. And so some of those like diehards that you see, yeah, some of that, some of that vibe uh, is, is lost a little bit. And I, I think that if they start to win, and they start to put together games like the one that they had on Monday night. That's certainly going to help out the, um, the you know the ambiance and the atmosphere there uh, because uh, they, they, there's the capacity for it. But again, all all these stadiums, you know, whether it's baseball or football that we're talking about, that there's always a degree, a level that's going to be always a slight notch below because it doesn't measure up to the old way that uh, things were. The old atmosphere of how things were what era did you become a Niners fan well was it was it the Montana era yeah definitely during the Montana era and that was a time where I remember watching the cats like as a really young kid and you know in the living room hearing Vince Scully and watching it and my parents my brothers and I we erupted when Dwight Clark caught that pass coincidentally mm-hmm. Tom Brady was also there at the stick <laughs> and that's when that's when I um, definitely fell in love with the 49ers for sure. I mean, I was always a diehard fan of all the uh, sports teams, you know, the Warriors, the Giants, the the 49ers. And so for me, when the Niners got really good and to see them play and then get, um, you, you know, Jerry Rice draft him, then they pull off the trade with Tampa Bay to get Steve Young. You know, and then having to later on in my career cover the 49ers and all the Bay Area teams, that was a thrill for me. And, you know, those, uh, you know, seeing Roger Craig high stepping it into the end zone at Stanford Stadium against the Dolphins, you know, or, or seeing Joe Montana and Jerry Rice click against the, the Broncos and absolutely annihilating them, or Joe Montana saying, hey, I see J- uh, John Candy there. And, um, you know, coincidentally, thinking about that, I just read uh, Charles Haley's uh, book, and he mentioned about during that drive in Miami, uh, and the 49ers were facing, you know, this pressure cooker of a situation. He said he was on the sidelines crying, sobbing like a little baby, because he felt like he let down the defense and he let down the 49ers and put him in that position. And he was feeling awful and did not think that the Niners would be able to, to, to come back the way that they did. And so uh, it's just, those are the sorts of things that, again, we go back to Good Morning Football. We also talk about the history of the game, and Shrake's the big history buff on it. It's like, those are the things that make you 
make you say, okay, this is why I got into the business. This is why I do what I do. And seeing Steve Young, you know, throwing the ball to Ricky Waters in the end zone or, or seeing the, the catch two and remembering where I was at that time. And, and, you know, Steve Young nearly falls down and he finds T.O. After remember, T.O. was dropping a lot of passes. Right. And so it, it was yeah, just, it, it's just, it, yeah, it's just like, and it's fun because now my, my son says, you know, I want a, uh, Jerry Rice jersey is what he says. I, I want Jeez. Jerry Rice jersey. And, um, because he saw like how great he was in running the hill and all that. So, you know, I'm trying to pass that along to my son and he loves it. It's like, he loves the game and he loves uh, the history of it. And, uh, it's, it's fun. So that, that era of, you know, Montana, Clark, Freddie Solomon, you know, that, that was, that was my, my era of, you know, Carlton Williamson, Ronnie Lott, you know, Dwight Hicks, you know, Keith Bonhorst, you know, um, Randy Cross, all, all those guys. I mean, it brings back awesome memories. Wait, what a golden age to be a 49ers fan. And, and Alan, I kind of grew up on that as well, right? Like we were kids when, when all that stuff was happening, but what, what, did, what an era to grow up on. And now it's, it's not so much like that anymore. And the team is kind of struggling when you look at the team this year. They did get that win against the Rams, which was huge. But this year, obviously, mm-hmm. it hasn't gone the way that most people had hoped. What's your take on why this season has gone the way that it has up to this point? You know, uh, I think there's a variety of, of reasons why the season has gone the way that it has. I think that, well, let's just start on the defensive side, for example. I think the secondary losing Jason Verrett uh, when he went down to injury, I think that really hurt. I think um, losing the leadership of Richard Sherman really hurt. I think that the uh, secondary was showing its vulnerability. And I think that some of the guys that they had drafted had not really been uh, developed uh, as fast as I think that the 49ers would have hoped. I know Hufanga, he's obviously uh, really developed into something. And uh, as we saw, that pass breakup and flying around the field, which is great. But I think the secondary was an issue. I also think that they were getting gashed uh, up front. I think that um, you know Fred Warner wasn't playing the way that we were used to seeing him play. I think that uh, he even admitted I believe just today that he was pressing, you know, um, at the start of the season, thinking about that big contract that he had signed. And I think that uh, played a part into it. I also think uh, now uh, he played much better in this game. And hopefully this is a turning point for the team and not just for him, but also then the lack of, of, uh, of, of real pressure on quarterbacks. We saw that early on in that game Monday night. We were seeing that they weren't getting to the Stafford the way that they could have. Um, and, you know, D Ford has been hurt a lot. And so I think you, you miss his presence. I think they missed the, the, the presence of DeForest Buckner more than they realized. Uh, and then on the offensive side, you know, I think, you know, penalties uh, were, were hurting, drop passes were hurting, not having. Uh, Kittle in the lineup was certainly uh, uh, an issue, and I was loving seeing Kittle over the past couple of weeks, at the very least, get more involved. And I'd like to see him be split out more and be more more uh, a part of that um, uh, of the passing game. I know I know he's needed to block, 
for the run, but boy, when he's out there, he's he's a he's a nightmare. Um, and you know, also I think um, you know Brandon Ayuk. I guess he was in, in um, Shanahan's at doghouse, so even though he was in the lineup, he he wasn't uh, as a parent in there. I remember, it was like Trent Sherfield was was darting, and and there was all of that. So I think it was a combination of stuff, and then also you know the run game. It's like they, they got to stick with what they know. And I think that is something that they did on Monday. It's like they got to run the ball. I think running the ball is critical. Obviously, they missed Mostert and his big playability. But uh, I like what I've seen from Elijah Mitchell. And so I, I feel like in these last three weeks, you know, Jimmy's played better too. You know, they have him in a shotgun, yep. got the quick release. They're taking advantage of it. And, you know, they were running the ball. And it's like he had to make the plays that he had to make. And um, so, so I do think that this could be a turning point for them. But I think those were uh, there was definitely a, a lot of things that that have not gone right for them. Uh, that that's kind of had them in the position that they're in now. What, what's your overall opinion, Will, on the job Kyle Shanahan's done in these four plus seasons? Uh, I think that uh, Shanahan gets a pass because of his reputation. I think that um, obviously he has at times shown why he is an offensive innovator. Uh, I think that I uh, love the the enthusiasm and the energy that these guys um, respond to with him, but I feel like sometimes with the offense, it's almost like he is trying to almost out, outsmart himself. Uh, and so it has been been a little disappointing to say the least uh, you know but he's also had the the i wouldn't say it's the benefit but he's also had the um the issue of of all these injuries uh that, that have kind of been been uh, lined up against the 49ers i mean they they had so many guys that were on injury reserve as well um in this in the last year and a half so you know, I, I think it hasn't been quite what I expected. I think I expected more, you know, from the 49ers. Uh, I really did, and, and from Shanahan. But, uh, again, you, you ask yourself then, it's like, okay, so if if they wanted to move from Shanahan, which they won't because they already gave extensions to him and Lynch, it's like yep. what would be the alternative to that, right? And so it's um, – it's one of those things where it's like, ah, oh, come on, let's turn this corner here. Let's, let's, come on, we can do it. Let, let's do this. We, we, we've, I mean, listen, they, they've had certain talent, but they've also missed on guys too. You know, it's like Ruben Foster, Solomon Thomas, you know, CJ Beathard, Joe Williams, um, you know, Javon Kinlaw. I mean, right now is looking iffy. So, you know, that hasn't helped out either uh, with, with some of the, the draft choices, but like anything else, some have, panned out like Fred Warner, like a, like a Kittle, you know? And so, um, you know, Elijah Mitchell right now, but it's like, okay, where's Trey Sermon in all this? Why Aaron Banks is a healthy scratch, right? You know? So I, I, I think there's, there's something with the personnel as well that I think has been holding them back, you know? And I don't know if that's just the personnel side of him and that he's also has a hand in that. And maybe that's hampering, things a little bit from where they can go and where they can be. Uh, so that's, that's kind of been my, my assessment of, um, 
at least the, the Shanahan era so far. Will, we cannot thank you enough for the time. And like Zane said, anytime you want to come event about the 49ers, you got a safe space here, my friend. You can come on anytime <laughs> you want to. But we really appreciate well, well, it, man. Thank you so much. Well, well, guys, honestly, it was a pleasure. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for letting me um, uh, talk 49ers. And, and thank you so much for all the kind things that you said about good morning football. Uh, it means a lot. And uh, being a, a San Francisco kid, believe me, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I'm working on a show like that on a network level that, that people watch and, and uh, get a kick up. So, so really appreciate it, guys. We're proud of you, Will. You're representing us, Thank man. you, Will. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks again to Will for being on. Zane, always so cool to be able to talk to guys like Will. He was awesome interview. He's a great guy. So much fun to do that. Yeah, it's funny because you and I were talking off air and we're like, we literally just saw him on TV this morning. (laughs) (laughs) He's on our show, you know, in the the afternoon and recording the show. And it's just so cool to get access like that. The fact that like, you know, he's from the city and he has the history with the 49ers. And I I always love talking to Niners fans, but like specifically people who grew up in the Bay Area, like myself, right? People who are from here, we we get that extra level of of connection there. And just, just hearing a lot of things he had to say about the team and and good morning football. It's really, really cool because if you peel back that layer that we see from uh, from out, as outsiders, and you see all of the work and preparation that goes into making shows like that, and the hard work that he did to even get to Good Morning Football, all the great work that he did at ESPN and, and all that stuff as well, you, you just don't get to appreciate that until you like actually talk to those people themselves, right? Like, and you hear that story, you you hear of the struggle and them trying to get there. And it's it's really cool though, really cool to see that, and you know, just just a stand up guy. So much fun talking. Yeah, about and it. it's always refreshing when you see someone on TV and they seem like a super nice guy and a super cool guy on TV. When you talk to them off air and they're the same person, that's that's always awesome. And and Will was an awesome guy, super cool. We talked for a while after the interview too, and and it was great. So can't thank him enough for coming on, and would would love to have him on again soon. And being a Niners fan, he shares in our misery. <laughs> Um, and what this team can do to you. And listen, Zane, like you said, I didn't think there was any prayer, any prayer they were going to win this game. But you know what? They have the Rams number. And actually, three of the last eight wins for the 49ers have been the Rams. <laughs> and their only two home wins <laughs> since 2019 have been the Rams. So maybe they just kind of have the Rams number. I don't know. But it's funny, you know, last week, everybody's tweeting at me, Kyle and John got to go. And this week, everybody's tweeting at me, Al, can the Niners run the table? Like, it's, it's, it's crazy, the discrepancy where people are in, in their mind right now. But listen, I don't think the Niners are as bad as that egg they laid against the Cardinals. I don't think they're as good as what we saw against the Rams. I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. And I think, Zane, this team has to find consistency. Because the path to the playoffs, it's gonna, they're going to be play a lot of teams who are ahead of them or right there with them. You know, So they're going to determine their own destiny. Uh, we got the Jags this week, which they should win. And then you're playing the Vikings, the Seahawks, the Bengals, the Falcons, the Titans, the Texans, and the Rams. So what? Five of those games, six of those games are still going to be tough games. The main thing I got out of this game, was it a great game? And we'll talk about some of the things that happened. But Zane, can this team find any resemblance of consistency moving forward? Well, they got, I mean, there there are winnable games on the schedule, right? But the, the issue, Alice, is consistency. And you know, we spent the last few weeks kind of bashing this team because they weren't doing well. And, and I, I really want to praise them for doing well, right? I want to, I, I said that when they do poorly, I'll criticize them. When they do well, I'll give them praise. And I think that a lot of praise is due for the way that they basically manhandled the Rams. They punched them in the mouth. A team that is far more superior on, on paper 
to the 49ers with Von Miller now, who was playing, and Odell Beckham, who was playing. And the Niners just made them look like nothing. Uh, if they can show out like that every week, and the first thing that I said, I tweeted out during the game, like, where the hell has this been? Mm-hmm. Where has this been all season? Like, if you, as a pitcher, right, if you have that pitch, why are you waiting till like the eighth inning to throw that pitch, right? Show it right off the bat. So, I mean, I, I'm really glad that, that they were able to kind of somewhat right the shift. They still have a lot of work to do. But if you look at all the teams that are vying for that seventh playoff spot, Al, it's, it's you know, the Minnesotas and the Atlantas and, and those teams that are kind of vying, vying for that last spot. I mean, I trust the Niners to seal that more than I do them, right? But the deal is, is that they have to be able to win the winnable games and steal another couple from teams that are, are better than them. And can they do that? We'll see. But right now you got Jacksonville this week. That's a very winnable game. It's a 10 a.m. start, yes, but it's in Jacksonville. Jacksonville is not a very good team. It's Trent Balky's team, actually, coincidentally. Oh, it's the Balky and Bowl. I, I didn't think of that. It's the Balky it's, Bowl. It is the Balky Bowl. And I'm surprised more people haven't brought that up. It is the Balky Bowl. And I hope that they, they smash Jacksonville because of that. But the Niners are a more talented team than, than the Jaguars are. The right 49ers team just has to show up. And the proper game plan has to be implemented. Like Kyle Shanahan had a plan against the Rams. We know now that they wanted to run it at least 40 times. They ran it 44 times. Well, 42 kind of the two Jimmy uh, QB kneel downs. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, they were able to get that 40 rush threshold and break over that. And they were not averaging like, you know, they were not averaging like six yards a pop. It was tough sledding a little bit, but they committed to it and they were able to make it work. And Jimmy made enough throws, a lot of tight window throws. I mean, last three weeks, he's been looking really, really good, as, as good as we've seen him since 2019. And I think that this is one of those kind of inflection points in the season where they have to take advantage of that. It's a softer schedule coming up for, for the most part. And you don't have teams like Seattle looking over your shoulder, which is funny, they're in last place you really have a chance to kind of do some damage here. And I think that they can, like, I, I really think they should be Jacksonville. And at that point you're 500 out. And at that point it's essentially like, you know, you're, it's a new season at that point. You're, you're zero and zero when you're at 500. Yeah. And it's true. And I, and I think eight or nine wins can maybe get that seventh spot, that wild card. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they get in where, where I was most excited was I, I think, and I, I hope maybe they found their identity this year. Because through the first eight games, to me, they didn't have an identity, especially not on offense. And they came out with this ground and pound with Elijah Mitchell and with Jeff Wilson Jr., who you know I love, Zane. And I just think the way he runs, when you get a guy like that, he helps set the tone, man. He's a strong runner. You know? You know? Mm-hmm. And him and Mitchell, I just thought they came out, pounded the Rams, and Jimmy only had to throw the ball 19 times. He played. He did play really well. It was. I thought it was one of his best games overall. Actually, I thought he played really well. He had a little bit of a lull in the third quarter, but other than that, he, he played well. Made some really good throws through into some tight windows. But they only they didn't ask him to do that much, right? Through nineteen times. So if this can be their identity, where they can really commit to the run and minimize Jimmy to where he doesn't have to go out there and throw throw the ball thirty times, have him throw it twenty twenty five times. I think that's where they are on offense, and that's what got me excited. Is I just said maybe okay, maybe Shanahan's done kind of getting cute doing whatever he was doing. He, you know, what did Eliza Mitchell run in against the Cardinals nine times or something like that. So to really have him come out yeah. there and commit to the run, thought it was great. And w- we'll see moving forward. I mean, if they, if they lose to the Jags, oh my God, people are going to lose their minds. But I, I, I you got to think if they show up even 80% of what they were on Monday night, it, they, sh- they should win that game going away. And it could be a blowout if the team shows up the way that they did. So w- we'll see. But the biggest thing for me, 
again, was I've been asking, when is this team going to find their identity? Hopefully, Zane, hopefully they found it. You know what I love about what Kyle did against the Rams on Monday night? I love that he stuck with something. Even if it was like, you're not really getting much yardage, it's three yards in a cloud of dust, it's three yards first down, three yards second down, and all of a sudden you have third and four and you can throw it or, or run for it. I love that he stuck with the game plan. And I think that this has been one of my biggest complaints about Kyle is that when he's doing something that's working, he's too quick to move off of it. And it's, it's kind of the burden of being, I guess, you know, you can call him offensive genius or whatever you want. It's the burden of having that knowledge and that expertise in that field where sometimes guys overanalyze things. And I, I think Kyle has been a victim to that throughout his entire career here as a head coach. So to see him do that, Jimmy even mentioned after the game, he said it felt like the 2019 season where they just kind of stuck with something and they were able to make it work. And it's complimentary football, Al. You notice how they, first of all, that that first drive was amazing. Like you take 18 plays, 11 minutes off the clock, and you you pretty much took the entire first quarter, mm-hmm. right? And that that's something that bodes well for the rest of the game because, and on top of it, they got a touchdown out of it because sometimes you, you see teams, they'll, they'll kick a field goal, they'll turn it over and they don't get anything out of it. They were able to score the touchdown off of that. And right off, right off the bat, the Rams are down and their defense is tired, and the Niners' defense is rested. And I think that's the formula. You talk about the identity. Each team in each year has a specific DNA and identity and formula that will help them win. And it varies from year to year because of so much player turnover and attrition and injuries and all that stuff. And this year's 49ers team, their identity, I think, is similar to the 2019 team, where you have to run the ball, possess the ball, and play defense and limit the, the amount of snaps that your defense is on the field. I think that's why that defense is really good as well in that year is that they were on the field for a limited amount of time. They weren't playing 35 minutes a game. They were on the field, I think the least out of any team. It was a, the second second highest time of possession in 2019. I think the Ravens had the number one time of possession. That's going to have to be what they're going to have to do this year to win. And you saw a snippet of that in the Rams game. And you saw how Kyle was able to take something that was working and exploit it. And that is what that is when he is at his best, is when he's, he finds a matchup and he continues to exploit it. And you sprinkle in a little bit of Jimmy and you manage his role in the offense and you don't give him too much. And I think that's where they're most successful. He was able to, I mean, he completed his first 12 passes. Yeah. So I think that you limit his opportunities. He's limited as a quarterback. You limit his opportunities to the stuff that you know he does well by doing all the other stuff well around him. So I thought they did a really good job of that. I, I just hate hearing those 2019 comparisons. And I know Jimmy didn't really, I'm sure Jimmy's not living in the past. I'm not saying that, but it's not 2019. This is a different team. You know, and I, I, I kind of just want them to find their own identity. You know what I mean? Like when he's, when you hear, Oh, it feels like 2019. It's not, it's not 2019. Yeah. You're very, 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 very far from it. Um, so I just I want them to find their 2021 identity. But one player I want to single out because I'll tell you what, he's taken a lot of crap over the years and he has turned into a tremendous player. And to me, he helped set the tone for this team. He was greatly missed against the Cardinals. And this is a different defense when he's on the field. And that's Jimmy Ward. It's about time right. we start giving Jimmy Ward some love and appreciation. And look, I, I, I've said before, what does Ward do? He's got two career interceptions. I've said that. You know what? I was wrong. He's a hell of a player. He's a hell of a player. And he did. He actually he tied his career mark in interceptions and pick sixes in the first quarter. He did. In that game. But, yep. but for Ward, he's not, you know, a, a game-changing safety in the sense that he's going to get five, six picks a year. He's not the type of player. What is he? He's a good tackler. He's a sound football player. 
he, the team is better off with him on the field. And, and I, I tweeted out a, a Pro Bowl thing for him today that I hope gets retweeted a million times. I think those counts as votes um, because mm-hmm. he deserves it. 49ers fans need to start appreciating him. And he is someone that this team needs to have for the long haul. When they signed him to that three-year contract, mm-hmm. everybody's like, oh, God, you signed Jimmy Ward up. Give him another deal. Give him another contract because he's a hell of a player. Yeah. I thought he helped set the tone right away in this game. I know the first interception, Stafford threw it right to him. Whatever. The second one was a great heads-up play, and he returns it. And again, he just does the little things out there on defense that that maybe a lot of people don't see. But you know what, man? This is Jimmy Ward appreciation time, and it's it's going to stay that way on this show for the foreseeable future. Two ironic things I'm about to tell you. Number one, Jimmy Ward is the longest tenured 49er, which is crazy to think. And More than Dante two, Johnson? Well, he was in and out, right? Well, Dante, yeah, the, yeah, Dante Johnson doesn't count because he's he's been he's been in. Because <laughs> Dante Johnson, <laughs> Dante Johnson, yeah, Dante <laughs> Johnson, uh, more than Dante Johnson, but longest tenure forty nine er in a normal circumstance, not like you know shuttling in and out. And the second thing is, is that he he was one of the last remaining Trent Baalke picks. It's just him, Tart, and uh, Armstead. That's it. Yeah. So ironically, playing Trent Baalke's team this this week, but the Baalke ball and everything that you're saying about Jimmy Ward is true. I. I I remember him when he first came in league. We remember his first game against Brandon Marshall. He got torched and the Niners lost that game because he couldn't guard Marshall. And we were all down on Jimmy Ward after that. And he kept getting hurt. And Grant, Grant Cohn famously asked him if he needs to drink more milk, if you know his bones are breaking, he needs to drink more milk. And he has all of a sudden become a team leader and a, and a vocal leader and a guy that you can depend on to be able to be a solid veteran presence back there at safety and while he may not make the splash plays that other safeties do and he may not be as flashy but he is so sound at his job and he is so good at what he does that when he's off the field you notice a dramatic drop off and i think that's the ultimate indication of how good a player is is if you if you notice that they're gone and there's a dramatic drop off you know that the guy that was previously there was a good player and you could you could have said that about Tart as well, but I feel like Hafunga has been fantastic and been doing really well. We'll get to him in a second. But with Jimmy Ward specifically, like I mean, it's one of those things where he should be he should be a team captain. I think that if he's already not like you know uh, the the whole ceremony actually has to happen, but I think that he is one of the unofficial team captains at this point because he's able to not only have that clout by producing, but also the longevity that he's had. I mean, how many rebuilds has poor Jimmy Ward been through? Right. Like several of them yeah. now, right? So guys respect that, that he's stuck around and he's been able to stick around and, and been able to be one of the bright spots in a lot of bad teams. So yeah, definitely appreciation for Jimmy Ward. I'm, I'm glad that he's here and he does deserve another contract for sure. And he said, I believe it was Ward who was on KNBR and he said that Ward himself, Armstead and Fred Warner called the players only defensive meeting before the game. And you know mm-hmm. what? He called the meeting, he acted like a leader and he went out there and performed. And and that is, yep. I'll tell you what, man, he's been earning respect, earning respect, earning respect to me. I just, I don't know if just something I was just after the game, I was like, you know what? It's, it's about time we start recognizing this guy and what he did. Cause you know what? He might've changed the Niners season around. He really may have, you know, if he drops right. that first interception right. or, or he doesn't come down with that pick six, who knows how that game ends. It, it turns out he, he may have mm-hmm. with that effort helped, help, you know, do it single-handedly obviously, but help to have turned the Niners season around. And that's, that's just awesome to see, man. And the guy on the other side of the ball who, I, I mean, you're running out of adjectives right now is with Debo. I mean, just yeah. unbelievable. 
He won Offensive Player of the Week again, so he's won it twice this year, and he's the only 49ers wide receiver other than Jerry Rice to win it more than once. And Rice won it more than once, 90, 92, and 94, because he's freaking Jerry Rice. And Debo has 979 yards now, and the only Niners who have had more receiving yards in a season since T.O. are Bolden, who had 1,179 and 1,013, if I can read my handwriting. Um no, I'm sorry, in 13, in, in 1,062 yeah. in 2014. And then Crabtree had 1,105 in 2011. So those are full seasons. Debo is almost there in nine games. If he stays healthy, Debo's going to fly way past that and has a chance at Rice's single season record. And he just had another, you know, we talked about the play that he had against Chicago when he takes that screen back to the house that may have changed the season around. Mm-hmm. And look, I don't think the Niners were going to endanger losing this game because the Rams couldn't do anything offensively. But the Niners' defense was in a rut, or not offense was in a rut, not doing well. And it's fourth and six, and Shanahan decides to go for it. I'm like, hell yeah, Kyle! Like, take that chance. Yep. Put you know, keep the foot on the gas, put the dagger in, whatever. Jimmy makes a hell of a throw, and Debo takes it to the house. And just another play where you're like, wow, this guy is just the team MVP. He's having one of those seasons for the ages. Not enough adjectives. Mm-hmm. We're if whatever happens this season, I know it's been frustrating, but appreciate what you're seeing with Samuel because seasons like this don't happen a lot, especially for the 49ers. They don't have wide receivers get a thousand yards, let alone somebody who may set the team record for yards in the season. So it's been a special season for him. It's been great to see. Everybody thought Ayuk was the person who was going to break out this year and it's been Debo. Yeah. And they haven't had a Pro Bowl wide receiver since TL, right? Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's been since TL. Yep. So they haven't had a Pro Bowl wide receiver since TL. We know about the quarterback situation, haven't had a Pro Bowl quarterback since Garcia, but from an organizational standpoint, like you said, we didn't think that Debo would be like the number one. We were like, all right, he's a solid number two. We knew that about him. Mm. He's like, all right, cool. He's a complimentary piece. And, and they turned him into kind of a gadget guy when he first got here. And he's become, he's becoming a complete receiver and you can see him growing. You can see the progression. You can see his route running the hands. I mean, like the drops are still an issue somewhat. Yeah. Uh, he, he, does drop he didn't have any drops last yeah, game. He drops the ball a lot. He drops the ball, but you know what it is, is that I think that if that's, if that's the thing to work on with him, that's the easiest thing to fix, right? Like you can't, you can't teach toughness and you can't teach like athleticism. You can't you somewhat teach route running, but like your hands as a receiver, that's the easy thing. Just get on a judge machine, put the work in the off season and, and that's fine. That'll, that'll be gone. You remember Jerry Rice had the same issue when he first came in. And I'm not comparing Debo to Jerry Rice when I'm saying like receivers have that issue. They come in, they drop the ball a little bit. So I'm not really worried about that, but the fact that he's been, I've told you a long time ago that Debo is my favorite 49ers receiver. He's my favorite because he, he reminds me of Bolden. I loved Bolden when Bolden was here. So now you're in a situation where you have pretty much your number one right receiver. Guys will be keying in on him. Defenses will be taking him away. So you as the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo, like what are you going to do in Trey Lance at some point? What are you going to do to be able to, number one, still get the ball to him because you can't just ignore him. And next, what are you going to do to be able to find other options if Debo is covered? And I think that's one of the things that they'll have to do going forward as we talk about the future of the season and, and onward is that look at what people did to Kittle after the two big seasons, right? They started bracketing him. They started covering him. And yeah, he's been hurt too, but he's not as effective because people are just double and triple covering him, right? They're taking him away. So I would assume the same thing would happen to Debo. So you have to have somebody else to step up. but. I feel like Al, when you've reached like when people call you by your first name <laughs> in your profession, like in, in sports, you reach stardom. You reach a, a level of stardom that that nobody has seen you reach before. Like he's just Debo now. Nobody talks to him. Nobody says Debo Samuel. 
nobody's a Samuel. He's just Debo now. So I feel like he's earned that. And he is that level of star where people are noticing now. Like you, you see those graphics from like NFL Network and ESPN and all those things. And they rank, they're like, oh, rank these receivers. Debo's on every single one of them, every single time. And you'll see the comments of, you know, Homer fans are not, they're not really kind of like woke to, to, as to what Debo is doing right now. But the fact that he's showing up in the national media and nationally now, it's a testament to how far he's come. Because remember, he showed up last year. He was a little bit out of shape. He didn't really put the work in, like the COVID stuff. You know, he, he didn't really like have as good of a year last year. But this year, man, he's been an absolute machine and a pleasure to watch. He's just a really fun player to watch. Yeah, we we talked about the running game a little bit. And I, I wanted to talk about some of the things Eli Mitchell's done, too. He's one of two NFC running backs this year. Delvin Cook, the other one with four games over 90 yards. He's had a really, really solid mm-hmm. season for a rookie. And, and again, with Wilson coming in, and I, I know Mitchell did break his finger. Um, it looks like they hope he's going to play this week. If he doesn't, look, man, Jeff Wilson Jr., in the three games he started last year, he had 159, I'm sorry, 371 yards on, on 59 carries, 6.2 yards of carry, and six total touchdowns. Wilson, Wilson can carry the load. Um, I love these two as a tandem going forward. I, I can't talk enough about it. And again, if that if the Niners did find their identity, these are two guys that they could really run at people and really wear down defenses with. Um, if Mitchell doesn't play, I think Wilson would get the bulk of the carries because God knows Kyle doesn't want to play Trey Sermon <laughs> ever. Oh, he may try to get uh, Kevin yeah. Barlow out of retirement before uh, Sermon <laughs> gets a carry the way things are going. Yeah, what did Sermon do, man? Did he kick Kyle's dog? Like even in garbage time, yeah. when it was thirty-one to seven, this kind of drove me a little bit crazy. But um, when it was thirty-one to seven, they were still running Mitchell. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like Sermon can't get a couple of garbage. Did he? Even, I don't even know if he was active. Was he active? He was no, active. He, was. he, he, he can't get a couple of garbage time off. carries. Like it was uh, crazy yeah. to me. I what did <laughs> what did Sermon do to Kyle? That's what I want to know. Nobody like Grant might ask him yeah. that. Nobody else would. Grant, if you're listening to this, I'm sure there's no way you are. But ask Kyle, be yeah. like, dude, did he kick your dog? What's what's going on there? I don't I don't understand it. Not even getting on the field. Grant Grant's got twenty thousand followers now, man. We're nobody now. We're nobody. <laughs> he's like twenty K <laughs> followers, dude. It's crazy. Good for him though. That's awesome. I think he's entertaining. Um, I think Grant is entertaining. I think he's awesome. We we need it. We t- we talked about the other week too, but we need to get him on the yeah, show again. Eventually. If he, if he if he has time. But yeah, that'd be good. Um but yeah, the the running game, I think that again, Bobby Turner, Kyle Shanahan or the, the Shanahan system. The combination of those two things can pretty much make a really good running back out of any talented, semi-talented player, I feel like. It's it's plug and play. We saw it with Matt Breida and then Raheem Mostert and Jeff Olson Jr. before he got hurt last year. Michael Hasty had a couple of good games last year, although he's fallen off a lot this year. And I think that he's I think that Servant should be overtaking him, at least for snaps. And now with uh, Elijah Mitchell, you see that the system makes the running backs and the fact that they've been able to get so much out of Elijah Mitchell was a late round pick, but a burner at that, right? He was kind of the same sort of skill set as Raheem Mostert. I feel like he's a little bit better catching the ball out of the backfield than Mostert is, but you've got that similar sort of skill set and it's just plug and play. And I think that if, if he can't play, like again, Jeff Wilson Jr., he's one of my favorite players too. He's the 49er that scored the most touchdowns out of any 49er in the last, what, four years, I believe. So you have that ability to run and catch out of the backfield that is to me something that's rare these days in the NFL if they start Jeff Wilson I'm totally fine with that I'm totally cool with that I just hope that the backup's Trey Sermon if, if Elijah Mitchell can't go 
because again, Al, it's not necessarily about this year. You have to develop these guys. He's the third round pick. You have to at least give him a shot to see what he has. You can't just write him off and be like, oh, you know, he did something in training camp and it's a behavioral issue. So I'm writing him off forever and then giving him limited opportunities. Like nobody's going to really succeed in limited opportunities, Al, in sports, right? You have to get an extended look to be able to let these athletes settle in, get into a groove, get their vision right, get used to being hit, all these things. And if you're just playing him in spot duty, a play here or there, like it's just not going to, it's just, he's just not going to have a chance to succeed. So that's the one kind of gripe that I have is that, yes, Elijah Mitchell has been fantastic and Jeff Wilson Jr. has been great. And he's, he's going to get more looks as he plays more, but I would love to see Trey Sermon more involved than Jermichael Hasty. And Kyle did say that the reason why Hasty isn't on third downs and not Sermon is because you can't always trust a rookie on third downs, but at some point you'll have to, right? And at some point you have to, you have to rotate those guys because Hasty's giving you nothing. Yeah. And at this point, like I, I see no issue with with putting Sermon in over Hasty. Yeah, and Wilson, like you mentioned, Wilson coming into this season he had the most touchdowns of, of any Niner. Um, I think Kittle has yeah. more than him now. The past four years, anyway. Yeah, in terms of Sermon, and like, there's just spots where you can get people into into the game. So I thought again, it was whatever it was, last three minutes. That that's just a great spot to put in Lance and Sherman. Just just get him some game reps. Let Sermon get a few carries. And Lance, somebody tweeted at me, well, all, all Lance is going to do is hand off anyway. Well, well, not really. You can have him throw a couple short passes, a couple screen passes, or just some things yeah. to get reps. And I'm not saying have him throw an 80-yard bomb, but have him go in there, give him a couple nice, easy, short throws. And just to get you know reps and game speed and stuff like that, I was kind of surprised that Kyle didn't do that. Um, but you know, Kyle's kind of set in his ways, right? So we'll see moving forward um, what happens with, with all that. You know where I am with the quarterback stuff. Um, well, again, we could sit yeah. here and sing Jimmy's praises or whatever we're going to do. The bottom line is he's got eight more games with the team. So, yeah. Again, yeah. what's yeah? You know what I mean? It's at some point you you want it, you want to see Lance at least get some reps here and there, some packages and things like that. But we'll we'll see what happens. Right now, you know, it was a win, and and I just want to hope that it's catapults them into something. And with this game coming up this weekend, um, let's give out game balls first before we get into that. Right? Let's talk about the game balls for this Rams game here. Who do you want to give yours to, Zane? Okay, so one of us is going to give it to Debo, and I I will leave Debo for you. Then. I am not giving mine to Debo. It's not gonna you're be not giving yours to Debo. Okay, nope. fine, 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 fine. Debo <laughs> Debo gets my game ball. I know who's getting your game ball. Then it's what it was one of two guys, but Debo gets my game ball. Five five targets, caught them all, had the two touchdowns, and he's becoming. You know what's cool is that I kind of criticize this a little bit in the game. Because I don't want him getting hurt because he's running running up the middle, like between the you know, between the tackles. But he's doing that so well. And I think that he is potentially going to redefine the receiver position where every team will look for their own Debo. And we saw it with Ty, Mon- Ty Montgomery a little bit when the Packers did that, when they converted him from receiver to running back, and, and he was able to do that well. But he stayed a running back, right? He didn't go back to receiver. And I think that the what they're doing with Debo is super unique. I loved seeing it. There were even packages where Debo was carrying the ball and Jeff Wilson Jr. was his lead blocker. I mean, I love seeing that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it sucks that it took, you know, 10 weeks for Kyle to, to get there, but I hope that he continues this because now teams will be looking for it. You can run so many actions off of it. But regardless, Debo gets my game ball. He's an emerging star, my favorite 49ers receiver right now. And to be honest, you could argue he's the 49ers best player, period, right now, outside of Nick Bosa. Yeah, I'm going to... Go away from Debo just because I think I've given him a few and you could give him a million game balls this year. I'm going, look, I am team Jimmy Ward right now and he's getting my game ball. I knew it. Yep. yep I am. Yep. I knew that one. Yep. On the Jimmy Warren bad wagon. I am singing his praises. I'm giving him my game ball. He is an underappreciated, 
underrated player who makes a difference on this defense. He is official game ball today. Jimmy Ward. All right. I think Zane for this game, I think that the Niners, I I don't want to say this because I feel like I'm going to say this and then they're going to, because they drive me crazy. Something crazy is going to happen and they're going to lose the game like 13 to 10. Right? Because that's just the way the season's going. (laughs) But I kind of feel like they're going to go in there. I I think they're on to something, at least with this offensive identity. We'll see if they can keep it up. I don't think the Jags are any good. They have no speed at receiver. You know, Lawrence definitely plays like a rookie. They're just not a good football team. I think the Niners are going to go in there. I don't think it's going to be 40 to 10, but I think they're going to win pretty convincingly. I could see like, you know, maybe like 27, 13, 30 to 13 type game um, this week. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to get to five and five. And then, like you said, it's the season's, you know, oh, and oh, at this point, let's see what you do for the next. What, what will it be? Seven games. If you could win four of them. You're probably yeah. in the playoffs, but let's get this. They got to get this fifth win first. And I think they're going to do that. Yeah, I think so, too. And I'm going to call it a trap game because I don't know if the Niners are good enough to have that that sort of <laughs> right, thing happen yeah. to them. But it's one of those games where you should win. And it's a clear one where we, we saw at the beginning of the season, like, all right, they have to win that game. And in order for them to continue riding the ship, you have to win the games that that you are supposed to win. And I can see them kind of struggling because, you know, it's the 49ers and you never know what you're going to get with them from every week. I can see them maybe struggling with this, but they sh- they should win this. They have a much more talented team. They have a much much better head coach. Urban Meyer's a bum for more reasons than just coaching. Yep. And you know they, they have Trevor Lawrence, who's who's been oh, up and down. They've been struggling a little bit with him at quarterback, and he's going through his rookie stuff. And and I feel like the Niners, top to bottom, are a better team than Jacksonville. Like this should not be close. The only thing you can say is that well, you know, turnovers, things like that. But the Niners just hold on to the ball. Don't turn it over. And you'll be fine. That's been, again, you talked about it last week. The turnover margin has been, been really bad in the Kyle Shanahan, and that's when they lose games. So they have to hold on to the ball. If they can do that, they can be smart. If they can put together a similar game plan, obviously the Jaguars probably saw what happened last week. They're, they're going to be pr- protecting against that. But if they can, if the Niners can kind of get past that and be able to uh, show a little bit, something a little bit different that Jacksonville is not ready, to, ready for and be able to kind of catch them by surprise. I don't even think it's going to be in doubt at all. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's not in doubt. I expect them to struggle a little bit because they're the Niners and that's what they're doing this year. But I think they'll, they'll ultimately they'll win. Yeah, it's now we're back to 500. And now we didn't think that we'd be there. We were, th- we were saying three and six, right? Yeah, so, I, 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 didn't, mean, I didn't think we'd be huge... having this conversation today. No way. No way. I didn't think yeah. there was a priority. And it says Seattle's, Seattle's three and six right now, looking at Arizona and possibly Kyler Murray coming back. So Seattle's possibly looking at three and seven. And at that point, they're they're done, right? I would say at that point, three, at three and seven. But the Niners are very much alive and in this thing. Even at you know, if they somehow crap the bed and lose the game, and you're four and six, you're still, you know, you're still very much in it. So again, one week at a time. I think we should just take it week by week with this team out. That's just the best way to do yeah, it. Quarter by quarter. They're so inconsistent. That's where I'm at with this team. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I think they went too. But hey, at least there's some positive stuff to talk about. Like. I think we're good at talking about negative stuff. I think we've gotten good at it, <laughs> but yeah. it's good to kind of have <laughs> yeah. a positive spin on this too. So we'll see where this goes. Again, there's, there's it seems like there's a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel right now. We'll see. And hopefully this can be a playoff push for the last half of the season. All right, everybody. For Zane, this is Al. See you.